Grace, mercy, and peace to you be from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. May we be seated. So there it was, about 30 AD. God is ready to launch the product launch to end all product launches. The biggest thing, something that he's been planning since the beginning of time itself. And he's been whipping up the hype for centuries, literally. We call them prophets, right? These prophets giving teasers, giving previews of this big thing to come. Then he had kind of a soft launch around, you know, 2 BC or so when uh, some angels came and sang and told shepherds about what God was doing. He also got very creative. He wrote the message in the stars themselves, though it turned out only like a few uh, weirdo magicians from the east understood the message. But they understood and they came. God had been whipping people up for hype, and now it's time for the the big launch. And so how's he going to do it? How's he going to announce the world that it is here? The kingdom of God is coming. Well, he had lots of options, right? He could have put up big, big banners in all the important places, the Roman Forum, the Great Library of Alexandria, the Temple Mount. He could have handed out uh, fancy togas with messianic slogans across them. Uh, He could have sponsored one of the chariot racing teams and have, you know, Son of God plaster on the side of the chariots. He could have got himself a big spokesman, like maybe a famous gladiator, or he could have gotten, like, a philosopher or a rabbi to be his spokesman to tell everyone the big thing is here. So what does God do? He gets one crazy man who eats bugs, who goes to the middle of nowhere and preaches sermons. Yeah, this is not exactly what we expect. John the Baptizer does not seem like much of a hype man. I mean, his message is aggressive. His style is weird. The guy dresses funny. He looks more like a homeless person than a celebrity. I mean, he dresses in camel's hair, and I'm sure he smelled like the backside of a camel. Uh, He had matted hair, crazy eyes. You know, I would not be surprised if people really did call him Creepy John. So here, this crazy man goes out to the middle of nowhere. No one lives there. I've been to the Judean wilderness. It is barren. He's down by the Jordan River, which... We think Jordan River, that's a cool, awesome place. I, I've been there. It's a muddy creek. It, it's like about like 20 feet across and like waist deep and very muddy. This is the place. This is the place where God has chosen. This is the man God has chosen to say, the time has come. He's here. But I want to show you that there actually is a lot of good reasons why this was the man God chose And this is the place God chose. I'll give you two good reasons why John the Baptizer was the right man for the job, and three good reasons why the desert was the right place for this to happen. That this is all part of a plan. In fact, God's announced this plan at least 700 years before it happened, because Isaiah said, the voice will come in the wilderness, crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. So this is how God wanted it. So why John? Well, John, son of Zechariah, John the baptizer, is very much in the spitting image of Elijah the prophet. So let's talk about Elijah for a quick minute here. So Elijah was 900 years before John, and he was the great prophet that fought against Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the king, Jezebel was the queen, and they worshipped not the God of Israel, but Baal. 
the Phoenician god of the storms. And they try to convince all the people, now Baal's our new god here in Israel. If you have any rain needs, Baal's the guy to pray to. And so God raised up Elijah as this uncompromising prophet who stood against and said, no, you cannot worship Baal one day and the God of Israel the next. That does not work. You're on one side or the other, and I'm going to show you which one's the real God. That this is the message of Elijah the prophet. This uncompromising, you have to do it God's way. And that's John. John is uncompromising. John does not say, oh, you tried really hard. Good job for you. Here's a cookie. John says, you vipers, you brood of snakes. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Produce works in keeping with repentance. So don't play the Abraham card on me. Don't say, oh, we're kids of Abraham. We're fine. God doesn't care. God can make these stones into kids for Abraham if he wanted to. It says the axe is at the root of the trees. And every tree out there that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. This is John's rhetoric. John is unrelenting, uncompromising. You either are going to repent or you are going to burn. And that is exactly the man they needed for this time and this place. A man just like Elijah, who pulls no punches, who sugarcoats nothing, who says straight up, you need this Savior more than you even realize. And in fact, in the uh, prophet Malachi, which I read this morning, Malachi promised this exact kind of messenger. In Malachi chapter 4, he says that I'm going to send Elijah to you before the day of the Lord comes. Before that day when God comes in his awesome power, I'm sending Elijah to you, and Elijah's going to turn you away from your sins and turn you to God so I don't destroy you. And Jesus said, for those who have ears to believe it, John is the Elijah who was promised. That he's the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah, shaking things up and turning people back towards God. So that's the first good reason. John is Elijah through and through, even dresses like him. But then there's another reason, that is John is the baptizer. He washes people. He brings them to the Jordan River and dunks them in the river for the uh, forgiveness and repentance of their sins. Now, I want to point out John's baptism is not Christian baptism. It's not the same as the baptism you received. For one thing, your baptism was in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's not the words John used. John's baptism is much more similar to what we know of convert baptism. So if you were a Jew living 2,000 years ago, uh, well, you were already in the family of God. But if you were a Gentile living like 2,000 years ago, how do you get into the family of God? Well, you have to convert to Judaism. And there's three steps to that. Step number one, you've got to learn the Torah. Okay? Step number two, you've got to be circumcised. That's the hard one. Step number three, <laughs> you have to be washed. There's a washing ritual, convert baptism, that these Gentiles went through. At that point, their stinking Gentile self is all washed away, and they are pure Israelites. Well, here's where John was really radical. He told the Jews, you guys need convert baptism. Yeah, he said, you guys are not yet the family of God. You need to repent if you're going to be the family of God. You need to turn away from your sins and believe in God. And this was a shock. This is something that 
ruffled a lot of feathers. People were angry. Why, why are you saying we need to be washed? We're sons of Abraham. No, no, no. Sons of Abraham are those of the faith of Abraham. You are the children of snakes. Uh, and so John washed people. And this would be very important because the message is you all need to be washed. No one has special status before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all need the washing that the Messiah will bring. And John talks about this, that I baptize with water, but he's going to bring a baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit. His baptism, that's the real stuff. That's what you got is the real stuff. So John's the perfect guy, this angry Elijah figure who washes people of their sins. So why the desert? Because, I mean, no one lives there. Why would you go where no one lives to proclaim the message of the Savior? Well, part of it is that no one lives there. That you have to go to this difficult, uncomfortable place to be confronted by this difficult and uncomfortable man. That the message requires a shaking up of the status quo. Jesus is not just to be more the same. He's to be something new, something different. One who actually speaks with the very authority of God himself. One who actually is going to remove your sins and make you holy. And so you've got to be shaken up. You've got to go to a new place. The second reason why the desert makes perfect sense is because the desert has a really important role in the history of Israel. The desert is where people go to be tested. Most importantly, this is where Israel was tested for 40 years. 40 years, that's a long time. 40 years, that's older than I am by one day. Uh, <laughs> but for 40 years, an entire generation, the Israelites were in the wilderness. And what was going on there? God was testing them. God was pushing them. God was showing them, are you going to trust me or are you not going to trust me? And over and over again, the answer was, not going to trust you. And God kept trying. He kept refining them, kept working on them, these trust exercises for 40 years. And so finally, the next generation, the ones who grew up in the wilderness, they were finally able to trust God and enter the promised land. But that is what the desert is. It is a place of trial and testing. And that is what's going to happen when the Savior comes. This won't be easy. People will be confronted with hard truths they're not ready to accept. Can God really come in the form of human flesh? Can this dirty, ordinary man actually be the promised Savior? Is he going to do the great things we expect? No, he's going to do very ordinary things. But in the end, there's no sitting on the fence. Either are for him or against him. You either trust him as your savior and see him as the most wonderful and beautiful of all, or you are repulsed by him, offended by him, scandalized by him. There are no middle ground that's one or the other. That is what kind of savior is coming, that this is going to be a wilderness experience. There's even another layer to this whole wilderness thing because in addition, Christ is kind of recreating the story of Israel. Right? Israel's story starts with water, with them going through the Red Sea. Well, Jesus' story will start with water, with him being baptized in the Jordan River. Israel then goes to the wilderness and is tested for 40 years and fails over and over again. 
Jesus then will go into the desert and be tested by the devil for 40 days. And he's going to succeed where they fail. They complain about the food. He fasts. They don't trust God. He puts his entire trust in his father. They fall to the schemes of the devil. Jesus defeats the devil. And this path will continue on. And the point of this thing, when Jesus is recreating the life of Israel, he's saying that what I'm doing here is I am succeeding where Israel failed. I am being faithful where Israel could not be faithful. And by doing this, I am recreating Israel. I'm reconstituting a new Israel, an Israel that will be completely obedient and faithful because it will rest on my obedience and my faithfulness. All right, so that's the second thing, that the desert's a place of testing, and that's what's going to happen there. The third thing about the wilderness is God has big plans for the wilderness. Go read Isaiah. Isaiah has a lot to say. He says that there will be streams in the desert. He says the burning sand will become a pool, that the place where jackals live will become a beautiful garden blooming with crocuses, that God has plans to take the dry and dusty places of the earth and make them lush and verdant and beautiful. You see, God has big, big plans. His Savior is about much bigger things than just conquering the Romans. His Savior is about much bigger things than just uh, God saving your soul when you go to heaven. God's plans involve the recreation of all things, that every wrong will be righted, every injustice will be made whole, every brokenness will be healed, and all things will be as God desires them. It's nothing short of the complete recreations of the heavens and the earth. That's what's going on here. And it's going to start in the most broken of places with the most broken of people, and God's going to make it all right. And so, seen this way, John the Baptist in the wilderness actually proclaims the very message, the message that God is coming with an uncompromising message but a message of how God is going to make all things whole, wash us clean, make our deserts lush. And he's going to do this all in his son, Jesus Christ. But you know what? God has a second big advertising campaign at work. This one's been also for centuries, millennia, he's been hyping this one up. Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back and he's going to finish everything that he's going to bring all the promises to completion, that he's going to bring us all home to live with him. He's going to give us life that never ends. He's going to take away all of our sorrows, all of our diseases, all of our brokenness. He's going to do it. And now he needs his hype man. He needs someone like John the Baptist. So who's he going to pick? What great figure is he going to raise up to hype up his return? I'm looking at them. God chose ordinary people like you. It might seem like a weird choice, just like John the Baptist might have seemed like a weird choice, but God has chosen you to go out and tell this message that the kingdom is almost here. The kingdom is almost here, and you get to say it. And you don't have to be like John the Baptizer and be a crazy person in the desert to say this, because God sends you into all the dry places of this earth to tell your family Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be as simple as giving them an invitation to Christmas services or be as deep as to tell them all about your own faith life. 
But God has called you to say that the, the big thing, the biggest thing, is just around the corner. Get excited, guys. Get hyped. Because God is going to recreate all things. In Jesus' name, amen.